blessings and good morning to everyone. Um, just a little car update, you know, if those of you here last week, you remember, I had the great squirrel attack. Um, if you weren't here, check out the message, but it, the essence of it was my, I got a squirrel locked into my car and it destroyed all my seats. And so I didn't have any squirrel attacks this week. I did have someone sideswipe my passenger door and not leave a note though. However, for the most part, it's been a really good week. And uh, it really has been. In fact, this morning I got up real early, coming here, 6.30, um, the sun, I know it's cloudy out right now, but early in the morning there was, the, the sun was out, it was kind of uh, just peeking through. It was very red and orange, gold and bright. And uh, then it, it, there was like a sheath of clouds to the east, just kind of hovering over where, where the bay is. And, and uh, I looked up and I had, you know, it was just so clear. It was like a golden sheet that was just glistening. I, glistening. I just, I was just amazed and just happened to be listening to a song about lift up your eyes to the Lord and, you know, the creator, you know, lift up your eyes to the hills. From, it just, it was like a reminder to me that we live in sometimes, it's such a beautiful world at certain moments. And I thought, why do I feel this way? I started just thanking God for this new day and that what is it that's in us? that when we see something of the beauty of creation just feels drawn towards God. And there's something about it, and there's, there's something about it that is just a, intrinsically in a human being that um, we, are, we are drawn to, to beauty and to the creation and, and does something to us. And anyway, I think that's part of how God made us. So, um, you know, I wanna talk some more about this idea of a sustainable faith. This has been a series that we've been exploring out of you know, 2 Peter, the first chapter, those opening verses talking about these building blocks for sustainable faith. And I want to pick back up with that and, and sort of connect to where we've been, but really launch into a different place, talking about the building blocks of brotherly kindness and love, as Peter calls them. But I want to pray first and ask God to just bless our time together. And I thank you, Lord, for um, you know, just your goodness and your grace. And I just pray that you would fill this time with your blessing and that you would speak to us. Each one of us has something going on. I have to believe that a majority of time in our life, we're trying to juggle something, we're trying to deal with something, or we are aspiring to something, that there are things that are at work in our lives and they're sort of unique to us. And you know that, and you know where we are, and you know the pressure we're under, and you know the hurts we're trying to get better from, and the things that we're trying to break free from and move into and breathe life into. And so I just, you know, I welcome your wisdom among us. And I pray that our souls would be open, like open windows to you. And um, speak to us, give us ears to hear on this good morning. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen, God. So uh, we're picking back up with this, this theme. And I want to look again at Second Peter 1. We'll read through the verse uh, 5, really is 5, 6, and 7. Peter writes, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, that is, make every effort. I want you to add to your faith, and we start with that building block of faith. Add to your faith, virtue, add to virtue. We talked about it, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, which we explored last week. And then to godliness, I want you to add brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness, love. And what the word that Peter uses when he, that we render brotherly kindness in the Greek it's, it's a word that we'll recognize because we actually have a major city in the United States named after it. The word Philadelphia is the word that is essentially used here and it speaks of love of the brethren and particularly 
as it pertains to the community of faith. So brotherly, brotherly love, brotherly kindness is usually a, a term that's connected to how the church is working and uh, how a local church is engaging in community. It really, it goes all the way back to a commandment that Jesus gave. Many of us might remember reading it. It's actually quite profound. It's so simple, but it's, it's actually really deep. I put it in the handout. It's in John. You can see it, 13. Jesus, and maybe Peter had this on his mind. I don't know, but I, I know that there were, there was, this was indelibly imprinted in their minds. He had told them, he said, a new commandment I give unto you. I'm going to give you a new command. I want you to love one another. I imagine Jesus sitting in a circle. His disciples are with him, and he's looking at them. And he tells them, I want you to do this. And he knows he's going to be leaving them in his earthly presence is, is not long on the earth. And he tells them, I want you to remember this, a new commandment I am giving to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? A new commandment I give unto you, that you, you love one another as I have loved you. And that was, if, I mean, we, we quote it, but I want us to really think about that, because how had he loved them? How, he loved them so beautifully, so devote, there was so much devotion so much sacrificial um, love that characterized him. That In John, later on, it will say, having loved them, he loved them to the end. There's something about a devotion and a love that keeps its commitments that is astonishingly beautiful. And he told them that I want you to love one another as I have loved you. That's a very tall command. That's a high reach. It's like, how do we do that, Lord? And... You know, when one examines the makeup of the disciples, it really does seem almost like a preposterous command. You want to talk about a reach. I mean, these guys were fighting each other all the time, right? They were always competing with one another. There was a lot of self-seeking that was going on, a lot of, you know, jockeying for position. And so for Jesus to tell them to love one another as I have loved you, in light of sometimes their inability to love one another well, it was just a great, it was, a, it was an amazing thing to say. But he didn't stop there. And he said, one more thing, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. By the love that you exhibit. Now, he could have said many things. There's many things I would actually put in there in place of what he said. Like, the love that you show to the world in my name. Like, the way in which you honor these principles in my name. I mean, we can go on. But he said, this is the true mark. And it wasn't excluding other things, clearly, but what he was trying to get at was by this shall, think about what he said, by this shall the world know that you are my true followers, by the love that you exhibit one to another. The mark of a Christian was something that called them to love one another radically. Now, later on in Peter's life, he would, maybe he didn't understand that then, but later on after his failure, he came to understand that because he was on the point, remember after his great denial, I mean, a lot of people think he was in a, sim in a similar path that Judas ended up on, who ends up taking his own life, and Peter clearly was just an utterly broken man. The Bible gives us a very small glimpse of his condition when it says he was completely isolated, weeping, this powerful physical man, weeping bitterly at his, in his own shame, feeling like he had betrayed the very one that he loved the most. He didn't have enough in him. He failed. He will always be a failure. 
and we know it was in that place prior to the resurrection moment, which did alter some things, clearly, where he was found by John. We know that. And brought back into community, brought, brought, brought back towards the, where the disciples were. And I kept thinking, and he was, he was shown love and, and acceptance even in his remarkable failure. After all his bragging and his cockiness and everything else, he was brought back to a place where he was given love, honestly. And it was, it was something I, I know was on his mind. He remembered it. it had, he had to, right? Now, later on, he would write, actually, um, in his earlier letter, these amazing words. Um, and again, it was not something that always comes easy. Um, we see that in 1 Peter 3, and I'm going to refer to it in a moment, because he'll talk a lot about what it means to live love and live with compassion. But I thought, you know, it, it's, it's really hard sometimes uh, to be loving like this. Uh, it's a difficult word to love one another as the Lord has loved us because we're all so imperfect and we're all flawed and we, um, we by nature, I think, are, are, are self-oriented. And, and we have a hard enough time loving the people we love, <laughs> yet alone people who are unlovely to us. And our love is, is um, imperfect. And a lot of times I know people become disappointed when they come into a church community sometimes because they're expecting like, the, like there to be perfect love and harmony. And it doesn't happen all the time. And so sometimes people get disillusioned. And I have to remind them and I've reminded myself that, you know what, we're all broken people, flawed people. It's not an excuse. It's just a reminder that we need, all, always will need the grace of God. There is not anyone perfect here. But we are seeking, we as a community, as part of an expression of Jesus to the city. But I'm talking about our particular community of, of followers of Jesus. That we are really striving to, to, to exercise love to one another. This is a goal of ours. You know, and I think it was Martin Lloyd-Jones, and I put this in the handout, who said this. He said, how easy it is to become impatient and perhaps more impatient. Look at this with those who are Christian than those who are not. Why? Because we expect more from them. That's what he said. I agree with that. Sometimes we have a hard time. We go, but you should know better. You shouldn't be like this. I get this from someone who said, but you make these claims. Why are you acting this way? This is, this is something that is a great challenge to us. You know what? Um, Peter wrote, and this is what I referred to in 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. He says, finally, all of you, I want you to um, be of one mind. Look at this. I want you to have compassion for one another. I want you to love as brothers. Please be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Don't return evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. I was reading this past, that same verse out of the message, which is a bit more of a, a contemporary uh, paraphrase version. But I love the way it was rendered. Just listen to this. He says, summing up, be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate, be humble. And that goes for all of you. No exceptions, no retaliation, no sharp tongue sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job, to bless. And you'll be a blessing and you'll also get a blessing. I mean, how good is that? When you really think about it, the Lord is, calls us to a place of growth in the way we treat people. 
And again, the question might prevail. It might happen, it might be something for us. Has someone offended us? Treated us poorly, let us down, hurt us, disappointed us, failed us, failed to live up to our expectations. Shared something they shouldn't have shared. You know, they should have kept it to themselves. I don't know. Are we angry? Are we upset? Are we, are we, um, do we want to retaliate? Are we having a very hard time forgiving? Even after someone may have shown some degree of remorse, it's still hard, it's lingering. A really hard time forgiving you. Do we want to hold on to our offense? Um, these are questions that love wrestles with. I think we understand that, right? I mean, it really does. It's, a, it's something that God calls us to, to think about and reflect upon, that if we're serious about following him, it's going to affect how we love people, how we forgive people. I got into a conversation with a young man who was um, talking with me about a situation that he had with a, an individual who had let him down before, and that person had had come a long way, but he was expressing to me his reluctance to um, trust again, that, that, that this person will disappoint me again. So I've just, he, and I, we started talking about it, and it was one of those things where the more we got into it, it was like, well, you know what? I still, I had this lingering feeling like of what I have been put through. And so I don't want to, I don't want to, I said, well, then why are you, why are we having this conversation then? You know, if you already kind of have, know what you're going to do. And I could tell he's, he wanted to talk about it because there was a part of him that didn't want to. And we ended up, by the time we were, that didn't want to like shut the door completely, he was wrestling with things. By the time we were done with the conversation, I said, look, I'm not, I, I hear both perspectives. You know, fool me once, you know, I get that. But I said, the truth is, I mean, I may just ask a question and I'm not asking out of the place of better than anybody. I said, but are you ever gonna need mercy? Because you know what Jesus taught us, right? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I'm just saying, factor in our own need for forgiveness. Let that play into this conversation a little bit. And, uh, you know, it, was, it, it ended well, but I thought, this is real. That's, real. that's real wrestling with things. That actually is actually very important. And, for us to think about. We mentioned in Peter's list how he encouraged us to go back to that list again, how he encouraged us to add to our faith godliness and how the thrust of that word was an encouragement to live vibrantly and humbly in relationship with God. And some of us may find it easier to love God, right, um, than to love his people. And I've had someone say, you know, I love God, I just don't like people. <laughs> I said, I said, Man, I said, well, I said, I don't know if that's possible. I, think, I mean, you think you do. Because I understood, I kind of understood a little bit what they meant, but I mean, I think the two are closer than we'll ever know. In fact, there's an entire epistle written by John that just explores the, the idea of, of how love has to anchor itself and show up in the way we treat people. That to say we love God and then, not, and then to act unloving to people is a huge disconnect. And in fact, it betrays, according to John, um, something of a breakdown in our love for God, who has loved us extravagantly when we didn't deserve it. And so, you know, one of the, the outstanding benefits of being part of a church community, especially when we decide to get involved beyond a, 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 maybe a, a more surface level, 
you know, whether it's in small group or ministry service and, or just expressions of things that we get involved in, um, is that we have this wonderful opportunity to, to grow in ways that, uh, in a local church, in ways that we would not normally have. Um, because, you know, most of us, our tendency is to hang around with people who are easier for us to love, which makes total sense, or people who are like us, which makes sense too. In fact, many of us, our entire world, especially if we work in a particular kind of a, a bubble, may be with a particular strata of people that if, if it was not for our connection into a church community, we probably wouldn't have much exposure to other types of people. That one of the real amazing things that a church can do when it's working at its best is bring together people from all different places in life, diff even different cultures, different socioeconomic strata. And we, we learn, as it has been the case since the beginning of the church, because of what Jesus taught us. We learn to love and respect one another, regardless of our titles, pedigree, uh, educational attainments, or even the amount of possessions that we temporarily possess or how we look. You know, I was thinking about our culture, which, you know, I'm a, I like to think about the culture because it's part of our world and, you know, it's how it's where we live and I don't see myself as outside of culture. And one of the things I notice is certain trends. I like to read, I think a lot about politics and societal trends and just the way people are interacting. A city's an amazing place right now. There are so many different things happening here that fascinate me, migration patterns. Um, technology and its impact on the neighborhood. And I've, you know, remember I've been here all my life, so I've sort of watched things go through different iterations, been through the, a lot of different things that I've been able to observe and um, watching what's happening now. But it was interesting to me because now I was thinking about it. Um, you know, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a trend, and it's less of an issue on maybe in the city itself. I'm not, I'm not trying to make a judgment on it. I noticed, like, for example, a lot of, on a lot of television, a lot of programming that's going on right now, whether it's where, however we watch it, whatever delivery system, the fact is that I'm noticing that it, right now there are certain people that seem to be okay to be made fun of. And other people, so there are, there are certain types of people groups that are okay to sort of use as an object of kind of like, don't be like this guy, right? Some of us might have watched a commercial um, that's sort of running. I'm not going to give the direct, direct context to it, but it has to do with a, a cable company and a satellite company. And one of the main, the main purveyors of this is he, he sort of presents himself. Here's the awkward version of me. And then don't be like this guy, right? And he does this. Really, it's very funny. But I thought, what image? It's, it's actually hilarious. And I thought, what what <laughs> what image is being sent? People who look like this, you're 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 goofy and out of it. You could be, you're just not with it. But if you look like this, see, and you, if you start looking for this, you're going to see that we've created just a, a different version of who it's fair to make fun of and who it's fair to say, this is what a, a cool together person looks like. This is what someone who achieves looks like. And this is what kind of like a loser looks like, right? And why does that become a factor? Because in the body of Christ, we are not to do that. We, when I was, um, I was reminded that in, in the way of Jesus, there are not losers and winners. We're all sinners in need of a great savior. 
and we are to seek to love one another with our unique distinctives as much as possible. It doesn't mean we don't call one another to biblical life. It doesn't mean we don't, we don't challenge one another to live what Jesus taught and what the scriptures teach us. That's not what I'm talking about. But when it comes to loving people, making assessments, making judgments, viewing ourselves as better than or, or someone lower than, or sometimes making ourselves feel better because at least I'm not like that person. And honestly, I can talk with you, but I don't really want to talk to you because you're weird and you're awkward. And I say that only because this is not the way of the Lord. We are being given this tremendous opportunity to be able to have the ability to serve and be together with people who are very different than ourselves. And some of us really need to do this. We need to, we need to live like the, the early church was living where it was so remarkably different that you had people who had never come together, different styles, different life, you know, different things that they did, different places, slaves and owners and people were a crowd, all coming together and sharing a love in Christ that was so remarkable that people commented this. They said, these people love one another. And they were fulfilling the command of Jesus. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, by the love that you exhibit one to another. Greeks and Jews coming together in commonality with Jesus. I mean, it was an amazing thing. It still is. Still is. I remember when I was a younger man, um, I think I was in my teens, uh, there was this convergence. And I know a lot of us would have no memory or recollection, and nor am I suggesting you should have a memory or rec you know, recollection of what I'm about to share. But when I was just starting to follow Jesus, there was a, kind of a convergence of things that were starting to happen. Uh, pr the church world in general was being affected by what was occurring in the, um, what we called the hippie movement, which, I, which in many ways was embedded here in San Francisco, in the city of St. Francis. It started here. And it also ended kind of, the flowers wilted here too. And many people who were in the movement, what happened was it happened on the Hayden in the Haight-Ashbury, but all over Golden Gate Park as well. And there was, kids were coming and what had been this kind of love fest turned into this just amazing place, sadly, of exploitation, where people were getting strung out on drugs, um, abused, and it was out of control. Many people, and it wasn't just happening in our city, but it was here as well. And many people all over America started to, uh, you know, reevaluate. The hippie movement had, had a particular amazing thing happen. It's what we call the Jesus people movement. What ends up happening is many of them turn their life over to Jesus and became leaders of what we recognize as, as the church for the, in the 80s and the 90s and all the way through into the 2000s. They created a new kind of music too. They started taking popular music and bringing it into the church. At first, it was a bit controversial. There was never in the history of the church a thing like an electric guitar or a drum being played. Um, people were very careful not to do that. That would have been considered inappropriate. The idea of someone with long hair also. And there was just a lot of things that started to have to be challenged and thought about. And what I'm saying is, okay, I said all that to say this. I started listening to some of the music. It affected me. One of, the, one of the bands that I remember listening to was a band named, uh, and they sounded like um, another band that very few people may remember, but it was called the Eagles. There was a group, <laughs> there was a group that was a Christian group. Um, they were a, a, a rock band of ex-hippies called Daniel Amos. And they, they had a style, it was changed over time, but they had a style that was reminiscent of, of the Eagles style. They wrote a song called Losers and Winners. 
And I never forgot that song, and I think, I'm sure, don't do it now, but you can all Google that. that and, um, but I remember, I found myself remembering the words because I was thinking about this idea of loving in a way that is different. And one of the lines in it was, Jesus died for sinners, losers and winners, right? And then the line was, yes, it's proven by his love for me and you. And then there were, I remember a stanza in my head. In fact, I was thinking about it this morning. It was, do you love the gifted ones and the others do you shun? Do you speak to only those you choose? Well, God's love, it has no bounds. It has no ups and it has no downs. It goes out to those who win and those who lose. And then it went on to say this. Now, clubs and cliques, they choose and pick and they make their interviews. Screen the undesirables and turn down clowns and fools. But Jesus died for sinners, losers and winners. Yes, it's proven by his love for me and you. And I, all those years, it stayed with me. That in the kingdom of Jesus, in the kingdom of Jesus, there's a room for everyone. Whatever our, is defined as a loser and a winner, we all come at the same place. And we get, to, we get to practice this great experiment that is more than even that, a proven thing of loving one another and being open to what God might want to do in terms of stretching us. Because God, that's one of the values of community is it stretches us out of our comfort zones and challenges us to love in ways that are um, really, honestly, sometimes radical for us. And it's okay. So when Peter goes on, let me jump back over here. When Peter goes on to declare that we are to add brotherly kindness, you know, and love to godliness, he's really getting at something, isn't he? Part of what he's getting at. Uh, can you see what he's doing, by the way? Think about godliness, brotherly love, and, and I mean, brotherly kindness and love. There's sort of a progression here. Godliness, love God. Brotherly kindness, love one another in community. Love, love externally, outside the walls. It's an expansion. It's a, he's expanding the circle of our Christian concern. And for any serious believer, we're going to have to wrestle with the, the, distinct, the distinctives or the distinction of what those lo that love means. The way love is done inside of a, a community of people who say we want to follow the scriptures and align ourselves with Jesus and what he taught is, is, a, is a kind of love that should be different than the love that we express externally. And it's important, maybe more important than ever, that we understand that our love outside, that goes out, is to be a big, broad love. But our love inside the body of Christ, of people who claim to love him, claim to follow him, is calling us to a place of alignment with his words. And that to not do that, to not, to not agree that we want to follow what we've been taught, what the church has held on to for generations, to commit ourselves to the faith that was once delivered is also in itself a disconnect and unloving. That we have to walk this tremendous tension that we explored last week between holiness and humility. That we have a kind of love that is to be operating inside the community of those who claim to love him and follow him and want to do so as people of the word and then the kind of love that we send out into our world and into our culture, because that kind of love, honestly, I would never expect a, someone who doesn't follow Jesus to act like someone who does. But I would expect someone who says, I love Jesus and I want to follow him to commit themselves as I am trying to do as well 
to be a follower of the Lord with all of my contradictions, imperfections, doubts, to say, Lord, it's not gonna, I'm not going to drop to the lowest common denominator and give myself a pass on everything. I want to live by your words. And then we want to challenge one another to do that. Perhaps that has something to do with the cross because what's the point of it if it doesn't challenge us to give up things and follow him? I'll take it a step further and I'll say this. Just in the minutes that we have left, I just want to talk about, I've made a case. Now I want to talk about how we can do this in some practical ways just in the few minutes we have left. So I just want to put a couple things on the board. Again, these are things that I'd like us to be able to wrestle with. Because one thing to say, we are to love one another. We are to love the world. We are to love people. I mean, people who are in and outside of our church community, right? That's what I mean. But how do we do it? Well, here's a couple of key things to mull over, think about, pray about, wrestle with. I'm going to suggest that we can grow, number one, and I'll just put it on the board, we can grow our love for others by focusing our thoughts and our words on the the good things of those we are seeking to love better. I know it's a long sentence, but I think we understand it. And not on the shortcomings, the flaws, and the defects. We focus on the flaw of anything, we diminish its ability and capacity to bless us. So some of us, not all of us, but some of us need to really... Again, we can't throw this all on God because Peter, when he says, add to your faith, there's no question God's involved in something. Some things I'm never going to be able to do without his strength. But he's saying, I've got the responsibility as well. So we're to be a people who, who are more affirming. How are we doing in this? Less of a critic. A critical spirit is not good. It's not becoming of a child of God. And some of us need to be careful because, honestly, we, we are dispositionally inclined to be critical, which is another way of saying we tend to be negative. That's our fallback pattern. And you create that kind of a climate in a house, it just killed the life out of it. The, the, the thing about it is all of us, you know, some of us have acquired it. Uh, we, our drop-back pattern is negative. It's a habit we've acquired because maybe experientially we've, we've had things happen to us or in our lives or we've experienced disappointment or we've, become, we've, seen, we've seen hypocrisy or we got disillusioned with authority or management or leadership or a parent. And as a result, we tend to have a cynical approach to things. And so much of what we see magnified in the culture is failure, uh, cracks in personalities, hypocrisy. So our fallback tendency a lot of times is not to trust anyone. Now, I'm not going to be vulnerable. I'm not going to... That's crazy. That's like people like that get taken advantage of, and that's not me. But the downside on that is then we tend to have a more of a negativity. Now, some of us, I get it. Our challenge is that we... we you know, we may be, we have a tendency, we may have a tendency, and I'm not going to go too far into this, but we may have a tendency to avoid conflict at all costs. And so our, our drop back is, you know, a, a passivity that doesn't want to confront anything. And that is not, and so everything is tolerated. And as a result, you know, it creates its own kind of dysfunction. That's not what we're talking about here. But I think what we are getting at is that love as a whole is not critical. And um, one of the questions we have to, and, you know, and that, that's even a question to wrestle with as we get older in life. Because I think that, you know, as we get older, certain things get codified in us. They get sort of cemented in. And I've watched people grow older um, and become very kind, kinder, more wonderful versions of who God made them. And they become examples. And I've watched other people grow older and become very narrow and negative and close down. And I understand why that happens, but I can tell you what the Lord wants us to be, a tree that's bearing fruit even in our old age. 
that if we are given the gift of living a long life, then there's a way to live it that is a blessing. And part of what we do in the middle years and in the early years has a direct effect on what happens in the later years. I say all that, uh, oh, you know what, I have something. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in one of, one of the great, greatest books of the 20th century was Mere Christianity. It was written by C.S. Lewis. Um, I, I've talked about him a lot, but in, in, this is not in the handout, by the way, but he said something. Can you just listen to, real quick? Let's hear me out. It connects with what we're talking about. He says, through natural likings, though, he says, but though natural likings should normally be encouraged, it would be quite wrong to think that the way to become charitable, loving, is to sit trying to manufacture affectionate feelings. Now listen to what he says. Some people are just cold by temperament. We might say unemotional, less warm, more guarded. That may be a misfortune for them, but it is no more a sin than having a bad digestion is a sin. <laughs> and it does not cut them out from the chance or excuse them from the duty of learning charity, of learning love. The rule for all of us is perfectly simple. Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking them more. If you do him a good turn, you will find yourself, right? If you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking them less. The point is this, how we tend to um, treat someone creates that same impression of them into us. So I'll put this up as a second piece, right? The way, if you think about it, number two, when we write, put it up there, is this, that what we, we are to act our way into a new way of thinking. That's part of what Lewis is getting at here. When it comes to loving better, He's say, what he is saying is that what we speak out creates something inside of us. So if I want to love someone better, the way I speak to them and the way I treat them will create that. Now, the word act there, I'm not talking about like act as in fake or putting on a mask like an actor does. Right? That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about making action, the way we actually do something, um, putting something into play. Right? This is what we're talking about here. When we, when we activate something in our lives, what happens is that what we, when we do it, it creates that very thing in us. That's why when we speak to someone in a degrading way, the, 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 the way that we think of them grows in, our, in the opposite direction of where we want it to go. So when I speak, that's what the power of praise is. When I praise God, I'm not really changing God. I don't say, oh, I love you, Jesus. Jesus, you're wonderful to me. God, you're amazing. Okay, I'm, that's true. I'm sure God appreciates that. But the point is, he's going to be that whether or not we say it. What really is changing is me. As I acknowledge who he is, he becomes more of that to me. Same principle in life. When we choose to speak loving into a situation, it will create a corresponding growth in that love. So wasn't that faking? No, it's acting. But isn't that kind of, no, if we choose to do this, even though there's a part of us that doesn't want to, what happens is we grow that in us. So one of the ways that we enhance our capacity to love is to move into that in our actions and in our words. And do you see what he's saying? The power goes in both directions. 
So if I move away from that, I'm actually creating an even greater sense of distrust or resentment or anger. Or that person who I'm demeaning becomes even more demeaned in my eyes. Words have power. In the power, in the mouth is the power of life and death. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said. It was very powerful things. And so by us being, oh, now, this one is, is in the handout. Lewis went on to say this in that same book, Mere Christianity. He says, the more cruel you are, look at this. He says, the more you will hate. Watch what's going on. And the more, and the more cruel you will become. And so on. It's just like a vicious circle forever. Good and evil, great statement. Good and evil increase at compound interest. That is why little decisions you and I make every day are of such infinite importance. The smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later you may be able to go on to victories you never even dreamed of. And an apparently trivial indulgence in lust or anger today can be the loss of a ridge or or a railway line, or a bridgehead from which the enemy may launch an attack. Otherwise, that would have been impossible. What is the point? Here's the third piece, and we'll leave it here. Small, when it comes to loving better, small things matter. And decisions, even little ones, can have like a big impact. And it may seem like a trivial thing, a small thing, but a minor correction in the way in which we're treating someone that we want to love better can produce a huge outcome. A minor adjustment of both, listen, refraining from something, and that is a legitimate to refrain. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna swear that, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, remember what Peter says, do not be a people who curse? Now that certainly includes swearing, and we live in a culture that's just filled with that. But really what he's talking about is demeaning. It's even bigger than that. The way, how do we conduct ourselves? We are not called, listen, we are not called just not to demean. We are called to bless. Think about it. And there might be, are there people in our lives right now that God is saying, you need to love them better? In fact, while we were talking, it's come to our mind. Maybe someone in our close life, close personal life, that we know if we're honest with God, God's saying, I need you to love them better. Or is it someone we are working with? who really irritates us, someone that we're in community with, who we have a very difficult time with because I don't even want to be in the, around this person. And I get it. We all have moments. I understand that. But the point being, what does it look like to be Christ-like? Are there people who God's calling us to love better? What small things can we be doing? I maintain that one of those ways is the way we speak, small, kind things that we do. If you want to grow our love, if we want to grow our kindness... Do something small and let it grow. Think small things have power. I'm out of time, so I'm going to pray. And we have a great song to close with called God's Love Be With You, which is a blessing. But Lord, I ask you, even now, to just keep working in all of our lives. You love us all. Losers and winners are all welcomed in your kingdom. Hallelujah for that, Lord. Because at the end of the day, we're all broken. And we never, ever, Lord, can be so impressive that you need us. Teach us to love one another as you have loved us. Help us to, to work at that. In certain circles, we do better than others. We pray for your grace, your strength. 
We pray for a deeper revelation of your love for us and the enormous forgiveness that you've given to us. We pray for a deeper understanding of what it means to be, mercy, to be a recipient of mercy, that we in turn may be able to give that away to others. Again, contending for things that are true, seeking to live a life in alignment with your words, but at the same time having this extraordinary um, graciousness to us that becomes a part of who we are. Help us. Pray for your blessing. Bless our time of giving. Bless the closing song. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.